right, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, thank you for taking time out of your busy weekend to come worship with us. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be out in the lobby. Uh, we're in the series of Revelation, and uh, we're well into this series. We're in week 29 now, and uh, um, I say that every week. And somebody asks me, why do you keep telling us what week we're in? It helps me when I edit the video. That's why. So we're in week 29, um, and we're looking at this. It's kind of an interlude with the seven bowls of wrath where God is showing us things about ourselves, and it's still showing us why his judgment is just and what he expects of us. And, you know, we are, we're created to worship. As people, we're created to worship something. We naturally have to find something to worship. Every human, every culture throughout human history has found something to worship. If you look for things, you're going to try to find something. We have this need. It's if it's not the true God, then we'll create our own gods to worship, but we have this God-shaped vacuum that we're constantly trying to fill, and we know that we need to fill it with something spiritual. But once man fell and sinned, we no longer pursued the one true God. Romans 3, verse 10, it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Sadly, man's need for relationship with God has been corrupted by our love of sin. Paul told the Romans, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Creeping things, which are also creepy when they become idols. Always the opportunist, people with a spiritual vacuum meet Satan, the father of lies, and, and demons disguised as angels of light. He has a very appealing religion to offer the people. Pick any religion you choose. He even choose Jesus. Just don't ever fall under the authority of anybody. Call yourself a Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, pick one, but never, ever, no matter what you do, never surrender to Jesus. You see, left to ourselves and our flesh, sin, nature, none of us would naturally seek God. We're born enemies of God who pursue Satan spiritually. And more importantly, none of us would naturally ever surrender to the authority of God. But wonderfully, graciously, mercilessly, mercifully, through man no longer sees God, God still sees man. Even though everyone is looking somewhere else, even though everybody is running away from God, searching for their own idols and their own things, God still seeks man. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, when you're lost, you don't know the way home. Half the time when you're lost, you don't know you're lost. 
till you realize you can't get home. Somebody needs to come save you and take you home. Over the years, man has built up, currently today, 4,200 different religions in the world. All of them you can choose from. And because religions play such a big role in our fallen world, they have to be dealt with as part of the wrath of end times. Under the false prophet and the antichrist, incredibly, all these religions, all 4,199 of them, are going to fall into one religion called humanism. The worship of man, the worship of science, the worship of man's intelligence. The religion will be an essential part of the Antichrist's final world empire. He's going to use religion to hold together his military, economic, and political structure. You see, religion is the only thing that crosses all boundaries. It's the only thing that pulls people together from all walks of life, all different types of people, all different kinds of backgrounds. Religion pulls everybody together. For instance, most of us would not know each other if it wasn't for our relationship with Christ. We wouldn't have run into each other. And churches draw people from all nations, all walks, all cultures, all languages. He's what brings us together, religion. Dictators and politicians know this. They use religion to get their influence and then they discard it once they have power. Only religion with its appeal to the supernatural can transcend the physical, geographical, historical, economic, and cultural barriers to world unity. If you want to bring the world together, you've got to find something they can all believe in. pouring out of the seventh bowl is actually followed immediately in time by the return of the Lord Jesus to the final battle at Armageddon. But in chapters 17 and 18, we pause to look not at the specific judgments, but what's actually being judged. We begin to look at Satan's religious and political agenda that's next on God's chopping block. You see, during the tribulation, people are going to desperately seek religion because of everything that's happening in the world. As God's judgment, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls devastate the earth and terrorize its inhabitants, people are going to turn in desperation to the Antichrist as their Savior. He'll establish a worldwide religion. It'll be called in Scripture Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. It's the mother of harlots. In other words, the mother of every fake religion. All fake religions come from one source, Babylon. By using that name, we begin to understand that all religions, every fake religion comes from one place. It all starts after Noah's flood. Journeying east after the flood, Noah's descendants arrived at Babylon the land of Shinar. In history's first great humanistic effort, they decide to build a monument to themselves, to make themselves a name, to be able to get to heaven on their own. But this act of rebellion against God has religious implications. They used bricks that could withstand water. They were building their own way to heaven through a tower. 
That way, if God didn't keep his promise and decided to flood the world again, they could escape the waters on their own. Tower of Babel was a direct rejection of God and his rainbow. So God dispersed them and confused their languages. In doing so, he sent them and their false Babylonian religious views throughout the world. They'd just been saved by the flood, and yet they begin a defiant rebellion against God. Welcome to man's sinful nature. In fact, it was Noah's grandson, Nimrod, who began this kingdom in Babel, in the land of Shinar. He would eventually move to Assyria, found the city Nineveh, and he's a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. God confused their languages and dispersed them around the globe. They took their false religions with them, but they always considered Babel or Babylon as the home of their false worship. So throughout biblical history, all the world's religions, other than following Christ, are joined together under one name, Babylon. Babylon is a city but it's also a philosophy and a religious belief that represents everything in the world, every system in the world, every leader in the world, every religion in the world that is against Jesus Christ. During the last half of the tribulation, these world religions will coalesce into one, humanism or universalism. God calls it the great prostitute Babylon. This system will be allowed by the Antichrist until the moment he turns against it and destroys it, a moment called the abomination of desolation that we'll talk about. In the mid-tribulation, he's going to declare himself as God and turn against all the world religions and demand that there be only one religion, and it's a religion that worships him. In the end times, false religions will come back to where they started. The devil who deceived the people at Babel will launch a false religion around the world and will deceive the world once again. Now John shares with us one of the targets of God's wrath, the great prostitute. The final world religion depicted as a harlot is the theme of this vision which records the exposure of this harlot, the explanation of the harlot, and the extermination of the harlot. Revelation 17 verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. The angel says, Come, see her judgment. It's final. It's certain. It's going to happen. Never any doubt about her fate. She will be destroyed as will every religion that's not of Jesus. She's seated over many waters. We're going to learn in future verses that she has influence over these waters, and we're told that the waters represent the people, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues. She has influence over every person that's not saved. The harlot will not merely influence, but she'll dominate unsaved people. Her authority will be universal. The entire world will be committed to the false worship of this Babylonian system rather than the true worship of God. 
Rulers from all over the world will be obsessed with this Babylonian harlot, deceived by the false prophet Antichrist and Satan and its demons. They're going to become enamored with this false world religion. Scriptures tell us that all who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. Everyone whose name is not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who's been slain. They're going to join themselves to the harlot, to this false belief, this false system, socially, militarily, politically, and religiously, and they're all going to share the same fate. All the unsaved will be caught up in a final false religion. The angel's not describing people who are physically drunk with literal wine committing sexual immorality, although that's likely happening. He's talking about those who are intoxicated with the Antichrist's false world religion. You see, you got to understand, when we say all religions can coalesce into one, people are going to love that religion. It's the, it's the religion they've always wanted. They're going to love it. It's everything they've wanted. Jeremiah said this way, Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunk. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Religious Babylon intoxicates kings and people. Karl Marx was partially right. He said religion is the opiate of the masses. What he should have said is empty religion is the opiate of the masses. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and its head had seven heads and ten horns. John's carried away into the wilderness, a desolate place. He sees this harlot riding this beast. The beast has seven heads and ten horns, and we know that beast is the Antichrist. The image that he sees is this Babylonian, this, this anti-God world everything being ridden or riding on the beast. False religions being carried by the Antichrist. Her, her riding on the beast indicates that she's supportive of the political power of the beast, but she's also in a dominant role and at least outwardly appears to direct the beast and control the beast. Her association with blasphemy and dragon's beast are clearly seen from God's perspective, but the people on earth, those of us who are watching are gonna think this is the most wonderful thing they've ever seen. The world finally coming together, everybody believing the same thing. Everybody politically, economically, socially, spiritually, we're all together, we're all one human race. They're gonna love it. The woman sitting on the beast suggests that he is supporting her, that he's keeping her upright, that he's unifying his kingdom by using her. People are gonna turn in desperation to the supernatural. When the world starts falling apart, the beast and the woman are gonna coexist for a while. But then he's gonna declare himself as God and she's gotta go. You see, once the Antichrist declares himself at God, as God, there's no room for any other religion, including the one that he got the whole world to follow. Eventually, the beast will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. 
It'll be at that point the false prophet will make the whole world worship the Antichrist. Scarlet is a color associated with luxury and splendor and royalty. It's also a color associated with sin and blood. The Antichrist will be a splendorous, royal, bloody beast full of blasphemous names. Antichrist will take for himself the names of titles that belong to God. He'll not only blaspheme God by what he claims, but also by what he says. Everybody will submit to the harlot. Everybody who doesn't know Jesus will fall under her religion. Humans will be united like they've never been united before. Revelation 17, verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand the golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. John saw her clothed in purple and scarlet, colors of royalty, prosperity. She's adorned with gold and precious stones. She's a prostitute who's both attractive and has plied her trade successfully. She's very wealthy. The one world religion, humanism, will be extremely well-funded, and people will give to it generously. As further indication of her wealth, the harlot has in her hand a gold cup. Like prostitutes who want to take everything from their victims, she makes her victims drunk. It's also highly significant that abominations and filthiness spoken of coming from a golden cup. Why? Because the prophet Jeremiah talked about this thousands of years ago. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance and the repayment he's rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all earth drunk. The nations drank of her wine. The nations went mad. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been broken. Well for her. Take balm for her. Perhaps she can be healed. He continues, and on her forehead is written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. The name on her forehead identifies her as common in Roman culture for prostitutes to wear a band that had their name on their head. The harlot is called the Mystery Babylon. Doesn't talk about the geographic location. It's not ancient Babylon. It's not the city in John's day, and it's not the city in our day. It's a previously undisclosed Babylon, a secret to be revealed in end times. It's the symbol of all worldly resistance to God. It'll be the source of all false idolatry, blasphemous worship in the end times. When you think of Babylon, think of a world system turned against God. When you think of the harlot, think about the mother of that system. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. The woman not only persecutes, she also revels in her persecution of the godly as drunk revels in wine. She's drinking the blood of the martyrs. Almost all the martyrs killed in the last half of tribulation will be killed in the name of religion. So many that the religious system of Babylon will appear to be drunk in the blood of martyrs. You see, they're not just going to kill people 
They're going to kill people in the name of their God, which is themselves. We should never forget that some of the most vicious persecution conducted against true Christians has been done in the name of the church. In the days when the Roman Catholic Queen Mary ruled England, known as Bloody Mary, some 288 Christians were burned at the stake for their stand for Christian truth. The first of these martyrs was a man named John Rogers, who as he stood chained to the stake and the fire rose around him up to his legs and shoulders, he rubbed his hands in the flames as if he were washing his hands in cold water. He lifted his hands to the heavens and held them high until he was completely consumed by fire. Rogers went to the stake with such calm and dignity that the French ambassador wrote that he went to his death as if he was walking to his wedding. His courage was so evident that the huge crowd burst into applause when they saw him walking to the stake. Many, many martyrs have been murdered in the name of Jesus. The important point is that false religion represented here as a harlot is a murderer. It has killed millions of believers over the centuries and will kill many, many, many martyrs in the last half of the tribulation, all in the name of religion. While the whole world becomes drunk with lust for her, the harlot becomes drunk with the blood of the people of God. The vision is so appalling that when John sees it, he wondered greatly. It means he was confused, shocked, astonished, frightened by the ghastly vision of this magnificent feature of a woman with such a deadly intent. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and the seven heads and ten horns that carry her. The apostle understood the woman represented a false religious system. The beast was the Antichrist. What he didn't understand was how do these two figures connect? How does the woman fit into this picture? I get the Antichrist. I get people worshiping him. But what is her role? How does she play into this? He knew the beast was the Antichrist, the satanic ruler of the last powerful empire in human history. He will be Satan's instrument to attack Israel, to persecute believers, to conquer the world, and to oppose Christ. Scripture tells us in Daniel that he's going to be an intellectual genius, an outstanding orator, a military leader without parallel in human history a shrewd, calculating, manipulative politician, and the ultimate religious charlatan. And people are going to love him. He's going to be everything they ever wanted. The apostle understood that the woman represents a false... Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, the apostle understood that the woman represented a false religious system, and the beast was the Antichrist. The beast is, this thing's skipping around, sorry. All right, Revelation 17, 7, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. Because it was and is not and is to come. We've seen that phrase before, was and is not and is to come, 
meaning the beast who fakes his own death seems to resurrect. He was, he's not, but he is to come. Described as uh, the Antichrist's fake death and resurrection. The false prophet will tell the entire world that they should worship the Antichrist because he has overcome death. Up until that moment, this false religious world system that worships whatever God you want is allowed to coexist with the Antichrist. But once he resurrects himself, or appears to resurrect himself, then he will turn everybody against the, against the, the uh, prostitute. It will happen halfway through the tribulation. He'll set himself up in the Holy of Holies. He'll define himself. He'll demand worship, and he'll martyr and kill anybody who doesn't do it. He makes everybody, not just Christians, everybody commit their loyalty to him no matter what religion they were worshiping before. And his phony resurrection and swift destruction of the religious system will shock the world. People are going to be just absolutely amazed how miraculous this is. He's returned to life and he's wonderful and he's putting us all under one religion and he really is God and they're going to believe him. Verse 8, this calls for a mind with wisdom. That's an understatement. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman's seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. For the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth but belongs to the seven, it goes to destruction. Every time the angel says, those with wisdom figure this out, I always feel like, okay, somebody else has to figure this out because it's hard to figure out. It's a difficult aspect of this vision. Seven mountains and seven kings. Mountains are sometimes used in the Old Testament to represent rule or power. Here they represent the seven world empires that we've talked about. The angel tells John that five have fallen, one is, and one is not yet to come. The five Gentile empires that have fallen by the time of John's vision are Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, and then the one that existed at his time was obviously Rome. The other one that has not yet come is Christ, or the Antichrist's final world empire. Many quickly associate seven mountains with the city of Rome, and they want to tie it to the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church. Because Rome is known to sit on seven hills. The problem with that is the word for hills and mountains in Greek are completely different. They're talking about mountains, which means empires. Many people link the connection between religious Babylon and the Roman Catholics. They find that irresistible to do. And I have no doubt that part of the Roman Catholic Church will end up as part of the fake Babylonian system. But this system is much bigger than the Catholic Church. Okay, when you picture Babylon, it's huge. It's every religion. It's every person. It's Buddhists and Muslims and Islam, all of them. Every religion, the ones you haven't even heard of yet, all 4,200 of them. But there's a reason why people are concerned about the Catholic Church. John Paul II's bizarre involvement with and approval of anti-Christian religions. 
In addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and others, Pope John Paul II told participants that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. The Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such interreligious cooperation. The Catholic Review on that topic said the unity of religion promoted by the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, and approved by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, is not a goal to be achieved immediately, but a day may come when the love and compassion with which both Buddha and Christ preach so elegantly will unite the world in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction and lead towards the light in which we all believe. We're way down the path of heresy in the Catholic Church already. Sadly, I'm going to show you in a minute that we're also way down the path in the Protestant Church. Angel explains that when the Antichrist comes, he must remain for a little while. His empire will be short-lived. He'll be given authority to act for 42 months, we know. The beast, which was not and is and is to come, himself an eighth and one of the seven. How, how does that work? There's seven kings. He's part of the seven, but now there's an eighth, and the eighth will be there a short time. And everybody scratches their head and goes, what in the world is he talking about? Well, it all lies in the fact that the beast was and is not. The Antichrist will be one of the seven world leaders until he resurrects. Then he will declare himself as a different person, a new king, the eighth king. And his time will be very short. What's unique is this all world empires over the years have been destroyed by war. And it took years for the Babylonians to to win wars, well, this is going to happen in a few minutes. The Antichrist kingdom is going to be destroyed by Jesus in a matter of minutes. And the ten horns that you saw are the ten kings that have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They're introducing ten new kings here. They're of one mind. They hand over their power and authority to the beast. They'll make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and kings of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. What they're saying is there's going to be a group of people, 10 brand new world leaders that have not been seen before, and they're going to be totally sold out to the Antichrist, and they're going to promote war against the Lamb. They're going to be loyal to the Antichrist. They're going to be appointed by him. They're going to receive their authority for one hour, a figure of speech meaning all this is going to be really short-lived. These kings will rise out of the old Roman Empire, which will rise again to make war against Christ. Many have seen the European Union as the potential fulfillment of this, perhaps, but now there are more than 10 nations in this European power and more on the way. There's little doubt that the European Union itself claims to be successor to the ancient Roman Empire. The ECC started in 1957 when six European nations met to talk about combining their nuclear, coal, and economic resources. They met together in Rome and signed what was called the Treaty of Rome, the beginnings of the present European Union. In many places in Europe, the European Union flag is just as prominent as any other national flag. But it will happen. This confederation will emerge as an heir to the ancient Roman Empire. 
whatever their exact identity, their actions are clear. They're going to they're going to join with the Antichrist and make war against Christ. The battle that we talked about in the sixth and seventh bowls. Our world is shaping itself for end times. They'll have one purpose, and that's going to be to give their power to the beast. They'll do his will and his will alone. They're going to wage war at the Battle of Armageddon. We're told the harlot of false religion will be connected to and in submission to the government of the Antichrist. Religion submitting to government authority is supposed to be unheard of in the church. Let me repeat that. Religion submitting to a government's authority is supposed to be unheard of in the church. No institution of God submits to man's government against the wishes and will of God. Yet, while once unthinkable, remember that throughout history, tyrants have used religion to control the masses. I can promise you that this church will never submit to government over God and will stay above the political wars going on in the extremes of both parties in the U.S. It's one of the many reasons we never closed during COVID. When a government desires to control those who surrendered to Christ, it has become an instrument of Babylon. It's also why we don't take a political stance since doing so moves us to a place that is below the dignity of the pulpit. As far as remnant is concerned, we are one nation under God. Amen. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked. They'll devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to carry out this purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Angel says, all the people, all the waters, all the multitudes, all the nations, they're going to follow this religion, and then the Antichrist is going to turn against this and destroy it. His alliance with the false religious system won't last. After he doesn't need them anymore, he destroys them. That's what every false dictator leader does with the religion they claim to follow. As soon as they get the power they want, they walk away from the very thing they said they were following. The Antichrist and the beast, they, they hate the harlot now. They had partnered with her for years and years, every fake religion, every fake thing. Now they hate her. They've used her to control the world. Now they're going to discard her. In his rampant megalomania, he'll want the world to worship only him. Not Buddha, not Muslim. Not Judaism, none of it. You worship me and me alone or you die. He'll make the harlot desolate and naked. He'll eat her flesh and burn her with fire. The graphic language of this extreme violence makes clear that the Antichrist and his followers will utterly and completely obliterate humanism. They are going to turn on the one world religion and absolutely destroy it, everything about it. But notice it's not their idea. The destruction of Babylon, the destruction of humanism is God's idea. 
and it occurs under the sovereignty of God. God put it in their hearts, the scripture says. He is using the Antichrist to destroy every fake religion that the Antichrist set up in the first place. Satan is always the instrument of God's purposes. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. So not only is Babylon associated with false religions, she's identified as the mistress of and having dominion over a great city, the great city of seven hills this time who rule the whole earth. She's a composite of political Rome and religious Babylon. In John's day, there'll be no doubt which city they're talking about. It'll be Rome. Across the world today, there are people involved in as many as 4,200 different religious beliefs and services. Think about that for a moment. From the time of Babel, man has come up with over 4,000 explanations for why we all feel spiritually empty. Every culture in every part of the world in all of human history has tried to connect with God. They know inside that they're incomplete and they also know somehow they're missing something and they also know that what they're missing is spiritual. This fact is one of the greatest arguments for the existence of God that I know. Everybody on earth is trying to connect with God because he created them with a desire to worship and a hole that only he can fill. Every human, it seems, deep down wants to come home, to be complete, to be accepted by their creator in relationship. One day, the world is going to whittle away those options down to two. People are either going to love Jesus or love the Antichrist. And that's exactly the way God designed it. But with 4,200 choices, how can we be sure Jesus is the right one? I mean, if you think about it, odds are that one religion has to be correct. How do you know? Jesus wondered the same thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion, three times he asked the Father to find another way. Tell me there's some other way. Don't make me drink this cup. Don't make me go to the cross. If there's some other way, tell me now. Please don't make me drink the cup of your wrath unless I absolutely have to. God answered him. There's, there's no other way. If we want to save and be in relationship with those we created, that those we loved, then you have to pay the price for their sins. And you have to overcome death for them because they can't do it. God didn't answer Jesus and go, oh, no worries, we have 4,199 other ways to get to heaven. In fact, if Jesus went to the cross knowing that there was any other way, that he's the biggest fool that ever lived. If he knew you could be saved by Muhammad or Buddha or L. Ron Hubbard and he still went to the cross, what a fool. So there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus knew he was the only way. You can't read the scriptures and come to any other conclusion. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. He claimed it over and over. You can't change that unless you erase or ignore the scriptures. 
You can accept his truth or not. In fact, that's the ultimate decision of Revelation. Not just is Jesus true, but is he your truth? Jesus as the only way is one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. You can't really believe anything else and follow him. The truth of scripture and the presence of the Holy Spirit won't allow it. True followers of Jesus understand that he's the only way. You can create a fake Jesus in your mind and you can believe that somehow that Jesus is gonna let everybody go to heaven. But that's not the Jesus and the holy word of God. That's not the truth that was made evident. And that's not going to save you. So I began wondering how we're doing in the church today. Surely as we get closer to end times, people will be holding on to the truth with everything they have, right? I mean, surely we've avoided the influence of those Jesus warned us about in Revelation. Surely we have set up a barrier to Babylon. We've been warned about those who look like sheep but are ravenous wolves. Those who follow what their itchy ears want to hear. Those who are false teachers and false prophets. Surely we are doing a great job at this. Sadly, it appears that the great prostitute, Babylon, is alive and well in Christian churches today. Many who are following her are pretending to follow Jesus. They claim to be Christians, but they're doomed to hell if they don't change. They may be worshipers, but it's not Jesus that they're truly worshiping. They've created a Jesus of their imagination rather than the one that's actually in the scriptures. You see, you can't have Jesus without the truth of the scriptures. He is, after all, the word. He is revealed in scriptures. Change any part of that. And you're not worshiping the one who saves you. Rather, you've been fooled by the great prostitute and you're raising your hands to Satan. Many who claim to be Christians are drunk with the wine of the great prostitute. A recent survey of Americans who claim to be followers of Christ was reported by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. Hold on for a minute. 65% of self-identifying Christians say there are multiple paths to eternal life. More than half say Islam leads to salvation. 33% Hinduism leads to eternal life. And wait for this one. This is incredible. 46% of mainline Christians, 49% of Catholics, and 26% of evangelical Christians believe that atheism leads to eternal life. Additionally, only 30% of those affiliated with religion say your faith determines eternal life. 29% say eternal life depends on your actions. 10% say it's a combination of having faith and actions. Only one outcome seemed to give any hope to us. The percentage of evangelical Christians who say theirs is the one true faith has gone up from 39% in 2002 to 49% in 2008. But it's not because people are being convinced, it's because people who don't agree are leaving. No matter what we think, 
our opinions have no impact on God's truth or God's sovereign plan for our future. His truth was true long before he created us and even allowed us to have an opinion about it. It will be true long after we're gone from this world. His truth will never change. And just so we're clear, if you believe there is any other way to God other than or in addition to Jesus, the Jesus in the Bible, exactly as he is in the Bible, you're following Babylon and destruction is on your horizon. It appears that once the Antichrist arrives, millions, millions will flee from American churches and Christian churches around the world to join the great prostitute and to get drunk in her pleasures, particularly when they're still here after the rapture of true believers. She will offer what they seek. She's going to offer people what every prostitute offers, a fake experience, a fake relationship with no connection, she offers religion without responsibility, participation without any surrender to authority, a church free of judgment, commitment, change, or consequences. They want what God offers without any personal responsibility or relationship with him. They want a fake relationship with a spiritual prostitute. It'll give them exactly what they want without any commitment or consequences. And that is exactly why Satan has been waiting for them with a great spiritual prostitute, Babylon. There's only one way to God, and it's through faith in Jesus. Jesus has allowed, God has allowed the false religions of Babylon to exist so that those who choose him truly choose him out of love for his truth and a desire to truly follow him and no one else. God hates every form of false religion and will not tolerate those who try to rob him of the glory that he deserves. We started in the plains of Shinar near Babel in the days of Noah. We'll come to a quick demise in the same location in Babylon. As God delivers on his promise to destroy all who blaspheme his name. At the end of tribulation, there will be two choices. Jesus exactly as he's revealed himself in scriptures and anything else, anyone else that's against him. Before you leave today, make sure that you know who you're really following. Is it the Jesus of scripture or some Jesus you've made up in your mind with a harlot? Let's pray. God, I pray for authenticity. I pray that your word would always be lifted up, that the truth would always be there. God, I wonder how much it hurts your heart to see people worshiping something, someone other than you. After all you've given, after all you've done, after all you've sacrificed, after all the blessings you've poured out, after you gave us life and breath, after you've given us everything we've ever eaten, how you've allowed us to live, to pursue passions and dreams, and then for us to turn and give that glory to somebody else. Wow. But one day, God, you're going to say enough. And you'll destroy every religion, every false belief, every heart that's turned against you. And declare yourself once again as the one true God. 
God, forgive us when we've recreated you, when we've made you into something that we can like, and all we've really done is turned what you did into a joke. Surrender means we have to agree with you first. So God, move our hearts. Help us to make sure that on that day we're standing with you. We love you. We thank you. Protect us from false teachers. Protect us from false religions. Protect us from the harlot. We love you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name.